Since 2005, Blue Hat has been where the security research community and Microsoft come together as peers. To debate and discuss, share and challenge, celebrate and learn. On the Blue Hat podcast, join me, Nick Fillingham. And me, Wendy Zanoni, for conversations with researchers, responders and industry leaders, both inside and outside of Microsoft. Working to secure the planet's technology and create a safer world for all. And now, on with the Blue Hat podcast. Welcome to the Blue Hat Podcast to Steve Cypher. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Steve, you were a presenter at the Blue Hat October 2023 event, which was just a couple of days ago. And one of the things we're doing on the Blue Hat Podcast, because it's called the Blue Hat Podcast, is we are bringing all the speakers on who presented at the conference and were involved in the Blue Hat October 2023 machine. So we're very excited to have you here to tell us a bit about first yourself, but then also session 18, which you presented called deprecating NTLM is easy and other lies we tell ourselves. I love just the title when I saw you submit this or when I saw this submitted into the uh, the call for papers process. I just thought this was such a wonderful title and I, I love the sort of tongue-in-cheek approach. But before we jump into all that, Steve, who are you and what do you do here? Well, that's a fun question. I ask myself that quite regularly. <laughs> Uh, hi, I'm Steve Cyphus. I'm a principal software engineer on the Windows authentication platform team at Microsoft. I've been here just a little under six years. I'll be coming up on my sixth year in the new year. And what I do, by and large, is I do things that involve making sure that people can connect to other services and authenticate themselves, make sure that when you type your password into the computer, it works correctly. Conversely, if you can't type your password into the computer and it tells you that your password is wrong, it's usually our fault. Love it. <laughs> um, and <laughs> you said you've been at Microsoft five years? Yeah, just going on six. Going it's on six Towards years. the end of, yeah, like literally January 1st was my, my first day. And that entire time, have you been within the tendrils, the vortex that is NTLM and authentication? Has that been your entire time at Microsoft, or have you sort of moved on to this project from other places? That is a fun question because it kind of depends. When I first started at Microsoft, so I've been a developer for going on 15 years at this point, but uh, when I when I joined at Microsoft, I was kind of burnt out on the true 9-to-5 engineering, coding all day, day in, day out sort of thing, and I wanted to do something different. So I actually started in the PM role in the what was it called at the time? The Windows Devices Group, which was, you know, three months later renamed to something else, something about Azure. But collectively, we were the enterprise and security team, and uh, we owned all of the security of Windows, all the different services from BitLocker to authentication to licensing to, to everything. And uh, I was brought in to PM the authentication side of things. So I focused on TLS and S channel and things like that. But inherently one of the one of the things that that has been a long running theme within this group is trying to kill NTLM, make it go away, make it less of an issue. And so that was that was actually one of the projects that I had been working on since almost day one. That sort of saw different incarnations. One of the things that we don't really talk about is that it's not that we just suddenly woke up one day and said, "Oh, we, you know, it's time for NTLM to go." 
Uh, we've been working on this for for many many years, and it's and it's gone through different iterations. Sometimes it's it's very public. Sometimes it's not. Right now, we're at the the public side of this. That wasn't the only thing I worked on. Uh, at some point, I said, "Okay, I'm 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 happy being a PM, but it's time to go back to being a developer because I like coding." And uh, at that point in time, I moved over to the Azure Identity team for a little bit. You may be familiar with a product called Azure AD Kerberos, or I guess at this point it's Entra ID Kerberos. I spent a year and a half building Kerberos into Azure AD, which was a fun and interesting experience. But from there, I, I came back uh, to the same team just on the dev side, where I got to focus on things like removing RC4 from Kerberos, and which was kind of an interesting prerequisite for NTLM. And and at some point we said, okay, we really need to we really need to get back to this NTLM project. We've gotten our data, we figured out our strategy, and now it's time to execute on it. Awesome. My turn. Yesterday I was uh, chatting with Nick and he said, Are you familiar with NTLM? I said, Absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. <laughs> so I, I decided to uh, do a little research. I took it to my Jedi Master Chat GPT. I oh, said, no. please explain this to me as if I'm a 12-year-old. And I got some really interesting answer. And, and let me know how this did. NTLM stands for NT Land Manager. It's like a secret handshake for computers. It helps two computers talk to each other. So it's like uh, your kid's in a secret club. And you go, hey, you know, I'm, I'm Wendy. And then the person says, well, I'm not going to say yes or no. I'm going to give you a math problem. And then you're supposed to solve this math problem to prove that you're a member and here's the solution. And then the other side says, okay, let me check your answer. Yeah, that's the wrong answer. You're, you're not a member. Get out. <laughs> is this, is this, it's not how a terrible, it's not bad. It's, <laughs> it's not bad. The perhaps more accurate analogy isn't that it's a math problem, but it's a secret code word. It's the open sesame uh-huh. Sort of thing is the that's your problem right there, Steve. The secret code word should be different. It it, it shouldn't be open sesame in all instances. Like that that was see that's what you guys Dang. did wrong. Sorry, that's, keep that's, going, that's, keep that's, yeah, that's that's what yeah. <laughs> and this is this is why Nick is Nick is doing this. He's the one who's telling us we're doing it wrong. Right. You're welcome. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Keep going. <laughs> no, the, but the, the, but everything else was was pretty spot on. The idea is that. The person who is at the door, who is who is saying, "No, please give us your code word. Tell us what it is. If you give us this magic phrase, we'll let you in." And okay, so I, I I'm a 12 year old. I go to the door and I knock and I say, "Open Sesame," and they let me in. That is ultimately NTLM in a nutshell. And that actually sort of talk that one of the one of the interesting side effects of that is it actually highlights one of the problems with NTLM uh, in a in a sort of silly way. If I'm walking up to that door and I say, open Sesame, is that actually the door I want to go into? I don't know. It could Someone could have built a, a fake door in front of it and they stole, once I said, hey, open Sesame, they heard open Sesame. Oh, that's, that's the magic keyword. I will go and use it to get into this club, even though I'm not technically allowed. Uh, they're pretending to be me instead of someone else. The, in the technical sense, we, we refer to this as lack of server authentication. The caller, the user, doesn't know who they are talking to. So when I, in the in the technical sense, when I go to a file server, yeah, it says that it's the accounting file server, but how do I back that up? How do I prove that? There's no way to prove that within, it, within NTLM. 
I like that. That was better than what ChatGPT gave me. So thank you. I got the, the gist of it. But it's a good bottom bar to set for, can I explain things better than, than a random AI on the internet? Yes, yes. Next time I'm going to change it to explain it as if I'm a 15-year-old and maybe I'll get a little bit... <laughs> I was going to say the opposite. I was going to say you'd ask like a five-year-old because I love oh, yeah. that Reddit, that subreddit of explain, I can't remember what it is, but explain like I'm a five-year-old. That's the one where, where I, I finally wrap my head around things. So NT Land Manager is what it stands for. NT, as I understand, is stands for, I think it was new technology. Yep. Which means that despite the name, this is actually pretty old. NTLM has been around 20 years, more? It depends on what version we're talking about. The version of NTLM that the majority of us use is NTLM V2, which, funny enough, internally is actually something we call NTLM V3 for reasons that are esoteric and silly. But that was introduced Windows 2000 era, and it, it got some upgrades over time to, to do some additional things. Things were bolted onto it. But its predecessor, NTLM V1, was earlier than that. It was, I think it was the mid-90s. And the reason that NTLM is NTLM is because there was a thing called LM, which was LMV1 and LMV2. Those things are horribly, terribly busted. They are, they're sort of cryptographic jokes when you're looking at it. Uh, any, any security person worth their salt will just kind of laugh at you if you recommend it. And those actually, thankfully, are completely gone from Windows. They went out the door a long, long time ago. Uh, but NTLM is the successor of the LM suite of protocols. Got it. And so... In your session at Blue Hat, you talked about basically this 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 journey, this process of how you go about uh, deprecating a twenty plus year old sort of protocol that is much more ubiquitous and sort of entrenched than many people realize, and and perhaps that the sort of security community at large maybe isn't aware to, to what degree? Like, do you find that many security folks sort of sort of gloss over the fact that NTLM is still everywhere and that it isn't as secure as perhaps they think? Is that sort of one of the big challenges or issues that's out there? It is definitely an issue. Definitely the, the awareness that it's in use is, is a big problem. Most people don't assume that NTLM is secure in the, you know, capital S secure. They they think it's sort of good enough secure because it's a default in Windows, which depending on how you look at it, there is some truth to it, but it really, security is not a binary thing. It's, it really depends on context. So how NTLM gets used is uh, tends to dictate the, the security properties of it. But a lot of people are completely unaware that it is in use. Um, they sort of they sort of assume that, you know, we as the caretakers of this protocol and the related protocols will will do things behind the scenes to to either make it better or to replace it with something that is better. And in a lot of cases, they just don't care. It's not a problem. It's not flashing in my face. I'm not getting calls from users saying something is busted. So why why should I bother? Uh, and there is some truth to that. It's if things work, don't touch it. 
which is a which is a common mentality in a, in a lot of environments. Not every environment, of course. A lot of people are concerned with NTLM. They come to us and say, "Hey, I, I see that I have NTLM in my environment. How do I turn it off? How do I get rid of it? How do I verify that it is in fact not running?" How do I run this down? How do I make sure that this one service that is, you know, coming from a manufacturing plant that that you know predates the the light bulb is actually you know doing something securely? There are lots of different opinions on the spectrum of of whether or not people care. I could say that probably goes for everything security related. Absolutely, yeah. That seems to be a common theme throughout the industry. I was going to ask. I know that you've had. You know, about we were coming on six years here at Microsoft. When did you find that sweet spot of I love working on NTLM? Or was it like <laughs> was it handed it to you? Was it force fed to you? Was it where did I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I love working on <laughs> NTLM. I definitely don't want to work on NTLM. I would like to definitely do more exciting and interesting things, but the the removal and deprecation of NTLM is a very is a very interesting project. It's always been in the back of my mind, this is something that we need to do. And so the fact that it is something that we need to do is sort of a good motivator on its own. My my ultimate goal has never been to work on any single thing. It's It's really about how do I improve the state of the art in the authentication space? And potentially more broadly in the security space, but I've I've primarily focused on authentication for all that time. So you know, when there's only so much that you can do to move things forward when you have this hundred pound weight attached to your foot. You can't you can't meaningfully improve anything if you are stuck with something that is leaking. Like you can't you can't do anything about it until you deal with that. So from our perspective, like, yep. This is a good thing. I don't think anyone, with the exception of some red teamers and and uh, people who are on the attacking side of things, are are sad that we are working on NTLM, or more precisely, working on removing NTLM. <laughs> and so, depending on when listeners are uh, consuming this episode, the recording of your talk, Steve, is going to be up and available to watch on demand on our. Uh, a YouTube channel. We'll put the uh, link in the show notes and or on the uh, Blue Hat website, Microsoft.com, like Blue Hat. So we won't we won't dive into all all the the details there because you cover them really really well. You talk about the reasons that NTLM is is was used and is still used. You talk a lot about password cracking and some of the sort of frightening the frightening reality of just how quickly passwords can be sort of brute forced now, which I, I found that part quite fascinating. But then, obviously, you talk about, okay, so we're getting rid of it. What are we replacing it with? Do you want to give us a, a quick little uh, overview? Well, first of all, do you want to talk about uh, uh, brute forcing passwords? I think that's always fun. <laughs> um, but if not, we could jump straight into, tell us how you lied, cheated, stole, used Kerberos to uh, replace or, or come up with a plan to deprecate NTLM. Yeah, I really shouldn't have said lie, cheat, or stole. I'm sure our lawyers love it when I say that. So the the password side of things is is really interesting because we're fighting on two different fronts when it comes to passwords. In the in the first, so a password is only so useful as how it's getting used in a protocol for authentication. So the canonical way that most people authenticate today is through a web browser. They literally type their username and password into a web form, and that web form gets fired off to a server on the far side. And that server 
is the thing doing hashing and calculating and trying to compare it to something that it knows behind the scenes. And there are all sorts of mitigations and, and architectural designs to solve for those sorts of problems. One of, the he- one of the things that a lot of people talk about is putting that password through a, a hash function that is an incredibly expensive operation. So that when an attacker is trying to do something against that hash if they've stolen the database or if they've, uh, they've, they've managed to capture something that is only the hash, they're usually trying to take that hash and bring it back to a password so that they can use that password against something else. You know, am I am I sharing my password with my bank account or something like that? Uh, you know, if I'm if I'm using the the same password for Facebook as my bank account, and I steal something from Facebook, suddenly I can I can go to there to to the bank account. And so, uh, if you make that hashing operation incredibly expensive, then an attacker just has to work so much harder to try and reverse it into a password. Protocols like NTLM and Kerberos actually don't take the password and fire it off to the far side to do the hashing. They use a local hash algorithm on the client itself called KDF, key derivation function. And that works in a similar manner to the, the hashing on the far side. But the, but the intent of that is to take a password and actually try and take the entropy out of the password, whatever, however you came up with that, and make it into something that is usable in a cryptographic protocol. Kerberos and NTLM use that password derived into a key. So literally taking a password, shoving it into a hash function, hashing it 100, 4,000 times, million times, whatever number is defined, and taking the output of that hash and using it as an encrypted, uh, an encryption key, or in the NTLM case, a hash, or uh, an HMAC, a hashed message authentication code for some message on the wire. So the difference between the two is that I keep my raw clear text password local, and the only thing that the system understands is the output of that KDF. And then on the far side, the far side also has that KDF password. They don't know the raw password. They just know the, the result of that, that KDF function. And when I send a message that is operated against on that key, whether it's a, whether it's a hash based on that or it's an encryption based on that, the far side does the inverse. It either verifies the message based on the key it knows or it decrypts the message based on the key it knows. And the difficulty with that sort of operation is two things. One, the far side now knows that key, so it's reversible. So the far side could, if that far side happens to be evil, it can pretend to be you against other services because it has that 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 key that that is transformed into the validator or the generator of the signature. And that's its own problem, but there's another problem in that if I am using a key that is weak, then an attacker can predict that hash algorithm or it can pr- it can predict the results of that hash algorithm and then they don't even have to figure out who you are. They don't have to figure out your raw password. They can just figure out what that key is, and then they can actually start sending those messages on your behalf without, without you even knowing. And so they're impersonating them. And the reason that that's bad in the practical sense is because the cost of predicting what those keys are, whether um, 
whether you are uh, doing it manually, where you're literally iterating through, okay, A, 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 B, you know, and so on, or they're doing some more complex search to predict, okay, Steve likes dogs, maybe it's maybe his passwords, you know, his dog's name, dog's birthday, whatever. You know, they can they can figure things out that. But is your the, password your dog's birthday? It is, isn't it, Steve? I think you should go change it. <laughs> yeah, I should go change that. <laughs> it's a you, all your social media is you and your dog in all the photos. So Well, I mean that's no one no one else listens to me for other reasons. They only care about the dogs. Well that's true. I'm sorry. You keep keep going. <laughs> so the so the problem with people being able to predict your password. One, is it an easy thing to predict? Well, that 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 on its own is a problem. So you you have relatively low entropy going into this hash function, so it's relatively easy to predict. But the other problem is the cost of the operation of hashing that key is incredibly f- uh, low. It's an incredibly fast operation. So I can do hundreds of millions, trillions, billions of operations, uh, hash operations. You know, I can try trillion different password attempts to generate this hash uh, over time. And if that, the faster that that is, the faster, the faster that you can hash a value, you end up with an ability to predict the password more easily because you can try it more often. You can try different values more often. And the numbers that I showed in the presentation, I, I used sort of a baseline. You know, there are, there are a lot of different standards out there on the internet. There's a lot of different benchmarks based on different services. One of the, one of the ones that I like to use, there's a baseline of 1.22 trillion hashes a second. And that's a crazy number because trillion is a humongous number. Even in computer science, trillions are trillion is a big number. So if you're doing a trillion operations a second, that means that you're doing 60 trillion operations in a minute. And that means how that's what is that? 3600 trillion. So whatever is the next Quad, order of quadrillion. Quad, yeah, something like that. Like yeah. these are these are incredibly difficult numbers. If you don't really know what the actual scale is, like these are these are impossible to truly comprehend how big these numbers are. And at that scale, it only takes a couple hours to guess a full eight-character password. I think it's I think it's three hours to, to predict an eight-character password. And so that's that's across the entire spectrum. That's that's alphanumeric, that's numbers, that's symbols, that's the, the 96 keys on your keyboard level of prediction. And that's bad because trying to predict. Because at that point, you've, you've covered the entire keyscape. You only need to do it once. Once I know that, I now have however many that, I mean, it's three hours times, so that's 3,600 times three. That's, uh, that's an obscene number of, of calculations, and you've just done it once. And the cost to execute that is less than $30,000 because the numbers are incredibly parallelized so that I can take a GPU... And the number the numbers that I base it on are the the Nvidia thirty eighty GPU. It takes thirty of those things, give or take, to generate uh, an eight to break an eight character password in three hours. The next version up, which released a couple years later, the forty eighty, is like two two and a half times faster. So it's fifteen. So you've just cut your cost in half, and so. 
from an attacking perspective, thirty thousand dollars might be a lot to some people. To other people, it's 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 change you find in the in the couch cushion, right? It's a worthy investment if you're doing it once because it's just that's just the hardware cost. Hardware cost plus three hours of power. It's nothing. So the attacking from an attacking perspective, the ability to guess your password, to be able to, to derive the hash that you're looking for to an attack a user in under three hours makes NTLM an incredibly scary protocol. And uh, that's one of the core reasons why we want to why we want to uh, sunset it. We want to make it go away. Because other protocols like Kerberos uh, give us an opportunity to make that hashing algorithm slower, harder, so that instead of taking three hours on... 30 GPUs, it takes, you know, 10 hours on 100 GPUs or something, you know, the, it's a, it ends up being sort of a non-linear scale. And, and the cool thing about Kerberos is we have this ability to be internally, we say, crypto-agile, cryptographically agile, where we can take one algorithm out of the picture, replace it with another algorithm, and overnight we have made that operation 100 times harder based on hardware improvements and things like that. Is it just an arms race, though? Because, you know, obviously as as hardware costs continue to come down, at some point that $30,000 worth of GPUs is, is going to cost $20,000, then ten, then five, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, like, what's the end goal here? How do you sort of move beyond... You may have just answered the question, but I just sort of want to complete it here. How do you move beyond this arms race of, well, as long as the attacker has enough financial backing to go and buy 30 or 100 or 200 of the latest GPU, they're always going to be able to brute force this stuff or crack this stuff. Does, it, does that make sense? It does. There is there is some truth to that. It is certainly an arms race. If you control for some of the parameters, it absolutely is. We can always make those algorithms just more expensive. At some point, there is a trade-off where it's not actually good enough to brute force it. Some of the more modern algorithms on the market today are incredibly expensive, and it takes it takes a lot of time to 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 brute force. So we have 10, 20, 30 years of longevity just, just by incrementally bumping things up. And I'm not a cryptography expert, so I don't necessarily know what the state of the art is in actually brute forcing or, or cost calculations for these sorts of things. I just you know, figured out how to do it on the back of a napkin, figured out how to do the calculations on the back of the napkin, not the cryptography. And so there is probably quite a bit of longevity there. The... Other side of it is that some of this is sort of moot if you have a weak password. It doesn't actually matter how hard that hashing algorithm is, how long it takes to execute a single hash function. If your password is easy to guess, it doesn't matter. It's You're done especially because you have different sorts of attacks like uh, uh, you know slurping up all the different password leaks uh, you know that, that that come out every week and then just trying to see if those match because like 90% of the time I'm making that number up I don't actually know but 90% of the time uh, you're gonna get a hit like just people don't know how to guess how to how to do good passwords and the hard part with passwords is in order to get a password that is not easily guessable, the standard line is it needs to have high entropy, which means it needs to be incredibly random. And it also needs to be relatively long. And it needs to be unique per service so that you don't have duplicates in different places. You know, the fundamental problem with that is that's really hard to do for a human. Humans are not good at 
generating passwords. So we need to have a password manager and, and, and all of those different things. And that's kind of a pain in the ass. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't swear. <laughs> but it's kind of a pain in the ass, right? And so at some point, the intent is, you know, passwords really shouldn't be a primary authentication mechanism. Passwords are incredibly useful. They are easy to type in. You can print it out. You can put it on a, on a uh, post-it note shove it in a safe and and away you go and you know as long as no one knows that safe combination then it's perfectly safe you know it's great for backups things like that also great for onboarding hey you're you're in a new employee the IT department generated this password for you they put it on your welcome kit type it in once change it to something you don't that IT doesn't know about and away you go so passwords will obviously stick around for reasons but from a human usability perspective our goal is not to make passwords more secure, but to just move away from them as a primary authentication mechanism. That's how we have FIDO, and that's how we have passkeys, and smart cards, Windows Hello, things like that. Try and make the usability of these systems you know, sort of inversely proportional to the security of those systems, so that it's incredibly easy to use, but it's also incredibly secure, or at least more secure than the equivalent password variant would be. And that gets into the, you know, the topic of protecting the cloud and hybrid credentials and the passwordless era, and we're going to biometrics, and, <laughs> and we could go down this path deeply. But I wanted to ask something about the title of your talk. Sure. Deprecating and TLM is easy, and other lies we tell ourselves. What did you think would be easy, and then what? at what point did you say, this is absolutely not easy? <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> Well, I could I could be honest and say that at one point in my life I thought it would be easy and there is probably some truth to that before I joined the company before I really understood how NTLM worked and how how ubiquitous it was. It was more of a play on the fact that that's what customers tell us and demand of us. Oh, it must be super easy to kill NTLM. Why haven't you? Turn it off. Uh, yeah, just it's it's simple. Just just remove it. Just turn it off. Just 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 get rid of it. How difficult is this? And Microsoft, you're not doing anything about this. Why haven't you done anything about this? It's incredibly it's an incredibly easy thing to do. And so I was I was actually playing off that idea. And uh, there are a lot of people out there who know better, and they're not the ones that are saying this. But but you know, if you're if you're not an informed person, you don't understand the complexities of of this sort of problem. You know, it is easy to say, why aren't you just getting rid of this? Clearly, clearly, this is not important to you. And that's you know, if we aren't showing you evidence that we are trying to do something, yeah, it actually does look like we're not doing anything about it. So I was I was wanting to sort of bring that up as sort of the forefront of yes we do actually <laughs> we do know that this is an incredibly complex problem and behind the scenes we are working on it and it's actually a bad idea to talk about it and say yes this is important to us and then we make no public announcement about it so until we got to the point where we could make an announcement about it everyone was just looking at us saying why aren't you doing anything hence the, the point of the title, because the, the complexity involved with removing a protocol like NTLM is incredibly high. Anyone, anyone who has spent any time in a, in a diverse network environment, enterprise uh, systems that have you know, either hundreds of thousands of machines or legacy environments that are talking to systems that have been around for a long time, know that NTLM isn't going away just by wishful thinking. There actually has to be work done to, to do that. I could see it. A, the analogy be like 
there is some organ in your body that really doesn't have any need anymore. But to remove that, it's very complex because it's attached to everything and everything is working around it. And you can't just go in and be like, let's take you out. That's not how it works. But those that are not in the trenches, such as you, don't know all the intricacies and things that would break or cause more issues by just turning it off because that's just not how it works. But from your perspective, if you're going to give advice, what are some go-dos for security professionals based on what we're talking about? What are some things like, hey, I'm not seeing this happen as much as I would like, or things would be so much better if we do these things. Are there any go-dos that you can can share with the audience? There's some pretty good auditing events in, that we built into Windows that tell you all sorts of information about when NTLM is used and, and how it gets used. And that's a wonderful starting point to, to truly understand what the implications are in your environment. Sometimes, some people who are doing things, you know, perfectly well, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're always keeping up to date, they're making sure everything's patched, they're following best practices for hardening, things like that. They could very easily be stuck in the oh we have NTLM we why do we have NTLM that's that's not good and the auditing will tell you all of those sorts of things and they'll they'll be able to to potentially remediate that in a fairly quick fashion and then you have the other side of it where you just don't really know what's going on in your environment you don't necessarily have a great inventory or things are not as well controlled as you would like, turning on auditing and being able to look at all of the different pieces that are using NTLM and why they're using NTLM. There are all, you know, there are all sorts of reasons why NTLM ends up getting used that could be fixed just through configuration changes and updates to deployments, things like that, that I wouldn't say they cost you nothing, but they are relatively quick and easy remediation steps that you can do. And just by doing that, you are improving the security of your environment significantly by moving away from NTLM. And so is that guidance for software developers who are you know, working on custom or bespoke software for their company? Is that for network administrators? Is that for response engineers? Is that for researchers? Who, who is that? Does that guidance apply to everyone? Or is that sort of to a specific subset of audiences? I think it depends on the stage of a particular environment, the life cycle of an environment. More often than not, you have uh, systems that have been around for, for quite a long time. You know, it could be a year, it could be five years, it could be 10 years. And they've just been sitting there. They've, they've been working fine. No one, no one really cares to do any investigations on them because there's nothing wrong with them. And so uh, from an administrative perspective, from an operations perspective, that's a great opportunity to, to audit those environments, to be able to look at, okay, we have these systems that are 10 years old. They end up using NTLM in this one very specific case. We can go flip some configuration and, and away we go. From an app developer perspective, it's a little bit less concrete of a step forward because the application developers don't necessarily see NTLM in, in use at any given point in time. You know, they're they're working within a specific environment that is, you know, it's a developer environment. It's a it's a it's a QA environment. It's something that isn't necessarily operating quite the same way that a production environment will. And so from that perspective, the auditing doesn't necessarily tell you everything you need to know. And so you need to do some code investigation. You need to look at things like, are we actually just hard coding the use of NTLM? That tends to be one of the biggest problems we have. People just literally hard code NTLM as the authentication protocol. And, and our advice there is, one, don't do that. Two, switch to negotiate, which is 
ultimately negotiate is pick between, try and pick the best authentication protocol that we can on your behalf. So we'll start with Kerberos, then we'll try this other thing called PKUDU, and then we'll try NTLM, you know, in the worst case scenario. And if you move to negotiate, you may very well still do NTLM, but that's where our additional enhancements come in, the, the features that we're building out start to come into play. Once it's into negotiate, we can take care of it. We can figure out how to make it better. But until then, we can't do anything. So take NTLM, move it to negotiate. Some of the other things like configuring IP addresses. Don't, don't connect to things by IP addresses. Connect to them by fully qualified names. An IP address is inherently ephemeral. We don't necessarily know who's at the other end of that IP. It's just, you know, 10.12.15.5. I don't know what that is. But I do know that, you know, accounting-db is probably something related to the accounting department, right? So a name has value. Whereas an IP address, I mean, an IP address has value, but a name has security value because you you potentially know that that's the thing I care about. And so that's how we get server authentication into the picture. That's how we make sure that we're binding the name that you care about, the thing that you're connecting to, to the service that it actually is from a Kerberos perspective. Uh, so there's a lot of value in getting the configuration right for, for naming of things as well. And we are actually coming up on time, which I don't know where the time went. This one went very fast. It does highlight, I think a lot of folks do not understand, there is a lot more than just your password. Like, you know, you're coming up with your summer 2016 and you think it's the best and you got, you know, the eight at the end and the exclamation point. But there's so much more going on in the back end to protect your data. And I don't think people understand that. So I hope that that People listening to this that maybe don't realize that or are new to security or maybe are in some other aspect of tech that they don't have the um, you know, under the hood look at all the work that goes into protecting our customers here at Microsoft. There is a ton of work and um, it's enlightening. But because we're short on time, I wanted to know what's next. Are you speaking anywhere? Anything that you have to plug? Um, where can we find you online if folks want to reach out and ask more questions about decrapifying Kubernetes? That's a, what I saw on your LinkedIn, and I thought it was the best thing ever. Yeah, that was. Uh, I forgot about that one. Actually, uh, that was our crypto agility work. That was how we got rid of RC four. The next things that we have coming up, I mean. Uh, NTLM is still top of mind. It is, you know, we have announced it. Uh, now we have to deliver it. And so there are the best laid plans and that sort of thing. Like as soon as as soon as customers get their hands on it, we know that there will be interop issues, compatibility issues, things like that. And so so there will be a lot of iterative work that we'll have to do there. We are committed to doing that work. So that's that's where a lot of our time and energy will be focused. As for communicating this stuff publicly for the rest of the year. We don't really have anything coming up just because it's coming up to the end of the year. Everyone's going into lockdown. Folks are going on holidays, all that fun stuff. And so uh, starting up in the new year, we'll be bringing out more documentation. We'll be meeting with different mediums of, of conversation, whether that's webinars, whether that's more podcasts, presentations, things like that. There will be more coming out, um, especially on the technical details. How do we actually plan on like third parties interopping with us and things like that once we're once we're actually in a place that 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 they have their hands on the code to to fiddle with. That'll be coming up. 
as for me personally, uh, like I said, I'm I'm not going anywhere. I'm focusing on this NTLM thing. That's a that's a huge priority for us. My whole goal in life is just to make your authentication work better, more securely. So that's what I'm here for. You can reach me on most of the social media places: Mastodon, Blue Sky. I really don't do Twitter anymore. Follow me on the other social media things, and by all means, reach out to me on email or my website or whatever. Well, awesome. Steve Cyphers, thank you so much for being on the Blue Hat Podcast. If you've enjoyed this talk, and I know you have, and you want to learn more about NTLM and the efforts to remove it from the face of the earth, shout out to Evil Mog, who presented uh, just a few minutes before you, actually, Steve, where he sort of showed his tool, actually, that he built to, uh, to basically... Can I quickly ask you that? So for folks that weren't at Blue Hat, the session before yours was literally... Someone had a sense of humor scheduling and that. That may have been me. Yeah, um, who, so who was the that? Se- yeah. <laughs> so Dustin Haywood, a.k.a. Evil Mog from IBM, literally literally the session before you, I think he handed the clicker to you as he yes. walked off stage and you came on. Do you want to quickly just talk about that? I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on on that. <laughs> I thought it was wonderfully poetic. <laughs> yeah. So, so his presentation was around specifically NTLM v one. One of the one of the things that a lot of people like to ask us about around this is when you say you're when you're saying you're removing NTLM, do you mean NTLM v two or do you mean NTLM v one? And the answer is everything. We're getting rid of NTLM all up. That's the whole suite of protocols. But NTLM v one predecessor to what most people use today, is an incredibly broken version of it from a cryptographic perspective. And so the attacks that he was showing were, how do I capture messages going across the wire and then break those messages using the same sort of password prediction techniques that we were, we were talking about in the past, earlier, using those sorts of attacks to break the security guarantees of NTLM v1 in, I don't even know, it was like a quarter of the time of NTLM v2. So he was showing off how incredibly easy it is to do that and why it's so bad that that's happening. And his whole his whole point was that there are a lot of environments where NTLM v1 is still in play, primarily because of poorly configured deployments. There are settings out in the wild that NTLM v1 is not on by default. It is absolutely not on by default, but it has been turned on for some reason in some environment for compatibility reasons or troubleshooting or or maybe an attacker got in, flipped it on, and started, started screwing around. And so there are a lot of different environments that are at risk here. One of the cool things, and I should plug this, when you deploy Credential Guard on Windows, we actually break NTLM v1 by design. We know it's bad. We know NTLM v1 needs to go away. If you turn on Credential Guard, we don't allow you to do NTLM v1 with your SSO creds. We just don't allow it. So NTLM v1 is going out of the picture. Hopefully we can kill it off sooner than NTLM v2, but at the very least, it will go away when NTLM v2 goes away. Awesome. Again, Steve Slifers, thank you so much for your time. We're going to have uh, Evil Mog on the podcast at some point, so it'll be good to get a uh, another perspective here on why NTLM needs to die in a fire, if I could quote uh, Dustin <laughs> on that one. This is great. Head to uh, microsoft.com, whack blue hat to see the links to session recordings, or you can head to youtube.com and look at our YouTube channel for Blue Hat October 23. Steve Slifers, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to have you at Blue Hat, and we'll hope to have you on the podcast again. Thank you very much. It was great to be here. Thank you for joining us for the Blue Hat Podcast. If you have feedback, topic requests, or questions about this episode, please email us at bluehat at microsoft.com or message us on Twitter at MSFT Bluehat. 
Be sure to subscribe for more conversations and insights from security researchers and responders across the industry by visiting bluehatpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.